all week, Tyler had been telling his friends that he was going to throw a house party, but nobody believed him. He had never thrown a party before, and there was no way his strict parents, Blake and Mary Jo, would give their consent. However, the hours leading up to the party, Tyler confirmed that it was indeed happening over Facebook, saying that his parents would be out of town. He had his parents went out of town, so he was throwing the party. I'm at the party, and we're all hanging out, everything's cool, he's acting fine. Where exactly were Tyler's parents, and where had they travelled to? He told me that, like, the gist of it, that he did something to his parents. I was like, bro, I don't want to know any details. Did he hurt them? Are they still alive? My understanding of it was that he, he killed them. This is the shocking and horrible story of a troubled teen, his wild house party, and two grisly murders. Blake Hadley was born on the 11th of January, 1957, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where he grew up with his two siblings, a brother and a sister. He attended Florida State University and was described as intelligent, friendly, and fun-loving by all who knew him. Mary Jo was born on the 4th of October 1963 in Braddock, Pennsylvania, also growing up with two siblings. Growing up, Mary Jo was widely known for her caring personality and was described by many as someone who was helpful to everyone, a trait that she carried on well into adulthood. Mary Jo and Blake met in Fort Lauderdale in the early 80s and their personalities made it impossible for the two not to hit it off. They began dating soon after they met and eventually got married sometime between 1985 and 1986. Not long after they got married, Blake and Mary Jo decided to move to Port St. Lucie. Here the couple built a house in the hopes that it would one day be a laughter-filled home in which they could raise their family. Little did they know what was to come. The Hadley couple welcomed their first child, Ryan, in 1987, and then six years later, on the 16th of December 1993, they welcomed their second child, Tyler Joseph Hadley. Tyler, who was born prematurely, weighed 3 pounds 10 ounces, requiring him to spend a month in an incubator. Along with raising their family, Mary Jo and Blake had other passions they pursued in the form of their work. Mary Jo worked as an elementary school teacher, and Blake worked as a technician at the local power plant. The Hadley family were active members of the St. Lucy Catholic Church in the community where they lived. All seemed to be going well for the family, but the complications involved in Tyler's birth caused some problems for them every now and then. Over the years, Tyler had suffered from chickenpox, hypothyroidism, and other medical issues. As a result of all that he'd been through, family members described him as loving but withdrawn. They also stated that he was suffering from anxiety, depression, and had extremely low self-esteem. By the time Tyler was 10, he was being treated by professionals and was taking medications from illnesses ranging from acne to depression, as well as taking growth hormones. The years continued to roll by in this manner, and when young Tyler was nearing his teens, he became a self-acclaimed troublemaker, making a hobby out of defacing public bathrooms and people's cars, breaking windows, stealing people's Christmas lights, and so much more. As the city of Port St. Lucie was originally designed as a city for retirees, it was unable to cater to the population of teenagers who now called it home as their parents worked and lived in the city. As such, most teenagers resorted to the only vices they could find, drugs, alcohol and parties, as a form of entertainment. 
Unfortunately, this reality was the same for young Tyler. Despite his parents' many attempts to raise him differently, Tyler began drinking by the age of 12 and he was already using various illegal drugs by the time he was 15 years old. While Tyler had been battling mental and physical illnesses for most of his childhood, his family began to notice major and alarming changes in his behaviour by the time he was 15. At this age, Tyler had made a habit of skipping school and using drugs. By the time he was 17, Tyler's parents had tried several routes to get their son back on track. This included paying for a psychiatrist and enrolling Tyler in an outpatient mental health and substance abuse program. He was also placed on antidepressants. Unfortunately, however, none of these efforts amounted to anything. Despite all of the support he was receiving from his parents and licensed professionals, Tyler seemed to only be getting worse. On the 10th of April 2011, at age 17, Tyler got involved in a fight at a friend's house and was charged of aggravated battery. Although he was still a minor at the time, Tyler already had a previous criminal record for burglary, so the judge ruled that he would spend a week at the St. Lucie County Jail and then two weeks of house arrest under the care of his parents. Once he had completed his sentence, Tyler went back to his old ways instead of turning a new leaf like his parents had hoped. The last straw for Mary Jo, who was the disciplinarian of the house, was when Tyler came home drunk late one night and snuck in through his bedroom window. His parents decided to take away his phone and car as punishment. In addition, seeing as the outpatient program was not working, they planned to enroll him in an inpatient mental health program. Tyler was extremely resistant to his parents' efforts to get him back on track. He intentionally disregarded the treatment and carried on taking drugs, with nothing his parents said or did having any impact on his willingness to become sober. To Tyler, taking away his privileges and making plans to commit him to a rehabilitation centre was unacceptable. Tyler would complain to his friends about his mother and how she had confiscated his phone. He would make incredibly dark comments about wanting to kill her over Facebook, but his friends just figured he was joking. At around the time that his parents took away his privileges, a furious Tyler specifically confided in his best friend, 20-year-old Michael Mandel. He told him that he wanted to kill his mother because she had been disciplining him so much. Michael, upon hearing these words, did not take his friend seriously, thinking Tyler was just speaking in the heat of the moment. Michael knew that Tyler loved his parents very much and perhaps was just experiencing dark thoughts due to his mental illnesses. In a bid to keep him away from trouble, Tyler's parents brought him along on a family holiday to a cabin in Georgia. According to family members, Tyler seemed to be doing well and did not lose his temper once throughout the duration of the trip. All that must have been a front, however, as later, investigations would reveal texts between Tyler and his friends about his desire to kill his mum during the trip. At the time, most of his friends laughed off Tyler's words, referring to his confession as a sick joke. If only they had known that these sick jokes might have actually been a cry for help and they might manifest into reality if not taken seriously. On the 16th of July 2011, 17-year-old Tyler decided it was time to act and he had the perfect plan to celebrate afterwards. With Ryan, Tyler's older brother, having moved to North Carolina for college and to be closer to his then-girlfriend, the timing was just right. 
At 9.40am, Tyler exchanged messages of his friend Matthew. Matthew asked if he had committed the dark deed that Tyler had been talking about, to which Tyler replied, no, but I'm gonna, then I'm having a party. Then, at 11.25am, Tyler spoke with his friend Antonio Ramirez. Antonio asked Tyler what he was doing tonight, to which Tyler said he was having a party. Antonio went on to ask if his parents would be home, to which Tyler chillingly responded, nope, well, they're leaving soon. Then, at 1.15pm that day, Tyler made a post on Facebook saying, party at my crib tonight, maybe? With this post, Tyler had stirred up people's interest and everyone was looking forward to the possibility of attending a party hosted by the quiet kid of the strict parents who were supposedly out of town. Shortly after Tyler's post went up, his parents returned from running their Saturday errands and were settling in to take care of their remaining activities for the day. Unknown to the two, however, their very own son was going about the house putting things in place to enable him to commit a crime that would shake the entire town of Port St. Lucie. Tyler began his preparations by hiding both of his parents' phones in a discreet manner. As the family home had no landline, he did not have to worry about his parents calling for help. Next, Tyler locked the family's black Labrador in the closet for fear that the dog might harm him or attract the neighbor's attention in a bid to protect his parents. Having taken all the necessary precautions, Tyler took three ecstasy pills and listened to Feel Lucky by Lil Boozy to get himself hyped up and in the right headspace. When he felt pumped up enough, Tyler grabbed a claw hammer from the garage. With his chosen weapon in his hands, Tyler stood behind his mother and watched her for several minutes as she worked. He watched her in disgust, most likely contemplating what he was about to do. Finally, the teenager lifted the claw hammer and struck Mary Jo at the back of her head. Mary Jo's screams forced Blake out of the master bedroom, and in seconds he came running to see what the commotion was. On getting to the room where the scene was playing out, Blake stood motionless at the sight of his younger son gruesomely attacking his wife, and according to Tyler, the father and son shared a look before Tyler charged at him as well. Both Mary Jo and Blake called out why during the attack, to which Tyler callously shouted back, why the fuck not? In the moments that followed, Tyler repeatedly hit both of his parents with the back end of the hammer until he was sure they were both dead. Tyler had succeeded in bringing his twisted fantasy to reality. Now certain that they were both deceased, Tyler dragged both bodies to the master bedroom and spent the rest of the afternoon removing everything that reminded him of his parents from the house and dumping it on top of their bodies. These articles range from pieces of furniture to appliances and even homework from Mary Jo's students. Tyler further spent three hours cleaning up the scene. He attempted to clean up all of the blood. Despite his best efforts, however, trace amounts of blood remained at the scene, indicating that something was not quite right. Satisfied with what he had accomplished, Tyler grabbed his parents' credit cards and headed for the bank. It was now time for him to throw a killer party. As people were still doubtful if the party was definitely happening, he then posted another message on Facebook saying, Party at my house? Hit me up. One friend responded, Whoa, what if your parents come home? To which Tyler coldly responded, They won't. Trust me. With his dead parents' credit cards, Tyler withdrew money from an ATM, which he used to buy supplies for his party. Living up to his fantasy of being the coolest party host, Tyler even drove out to pick up some of his friends for the party. 
flaunting a huge bundle of cash on their way back to the house. Was it Tyler had a the money, like five five thousand dollars, like out of nowhere, I don't know where he got it. Many more people began to show up at the Hadley house as the news of the party had spread fast. This was quite surprising as Tyler was not very popular at school. Tyler would answer the door wearing a long black t-shirt, black dickies and black Nike Air Force high tops. He seemed anxious and his eyes were large and white and his pupils expanded. He would keep rubbing his hands together and nervously clench his fists. He told the kids on arrival, I don't want no one smoking inside, it's my parents house. People also kept asking Tyler where his parents were. They went to Georgia, he told his friend Mark. They're in Orlando, he told Ryan. They don't live here. This is my house, Tyler told Richard. Tyler's best friend Michael mentioned there was an instance during the party when he was talking with some girls on the couch when a very drunk guy jokingly said, I smell dead people, to which Michael responded, what's that supposed to mean? Oh, I don't know. Some people are smoking, that's all. Soon the party was in full swing with around 60 young people sprawled everywhere, most of them strangers to Tyler. They were stubbing cigarettes out on the carpet, breaking beer bottles and playing beer pong on a table right next to the master bedroom where the bodies had been hidden. Tyler seemed concerned with keeping the noise levels down, not wanting the neighbours to call the police. In the midst of all of this, the weight of what had happened earlier that afternoon must have grown too heavy for Tyler to bear. At about 1am on the 17th of July 2011, Tyler pulled Michael aside from the party and asked him to go on a walk so they could talk. While taking a walk around the neighbourhood, Tyler confessed to Michael that he had killed his parents. Mike, I killed my parents, Tyler blurted out, to which Michael responded, No you didn't Tyler, shut up. What are you talking about? Tyler immediately pointed out that both his parents' cars were still in the driveway and confessed that they had not gone to Orlando, as he had initially made people believe. Michael could not accept that his best friend would do such a thing, and so he arrived to the conclusion that Tyler was pranking him. Returning to the house with this new information ringing through his mind, Michael looked more closely at the furniture and noticed blood on the computer desk and even more on the door of the master bedroom, but he still thought Tyler was joking. Michael confronted Tyler saying he had to see the bodies for himself before believing Tyler's claims. I want to see them dead if you really did it. I don't believe you, he said. Tyler responded by saying he needed the party to die down first to avoid any undesired attention. But Michael was not having it, he was too agitated and so he decided he was going to find out for himself. Michael walked up to the master bedroom door and turned the handle. The door seemed to be blocked on the other end, so he looked down and he saw Mr Hadley's lifeless leg resting against the door. It was then that he realised this was real, Tyler was telling the truth. Despite discovering that his best friend really was a murderer, Michael stayed at the party for another few hours. If you were in my shoes and that guy was your best friend, you wouldn't want to leave right away, he said in an interview. While Michael had already decided that he was going to inform the authorities, he wanted to savour these last moments with his best friend, so he decided to take out his phone and take a selfie with Tyler. He said he did this because he knew it was going to be the last time that he ever saw him. As soon as Michael got home from Tyler's party, he called the police anonymously at 4.24am to inform them of his friend's crime. Immediately, police officers were dispatched to the Hadley residence. At 4.40am, Tyler posted another message on Facebook that read, Party at my house again? Hit me up. If it were up to Tyler, I'm sure the rest of his life would have been an endless party. 
Unfortunately for him, however, the police were right at his door. According to one of the officers who had peered into the house through the window, they could see Tyler pace around in a frantic state, most likely under the influence of the ecstasy pills he had taken earlier. The police knocked at the front door and all the lights in the house went off. Alarmed, the officers called for backup as they prepared to tackle what lay before them. Tyler eventually opened the door and was restrained by the officers. I know I'm going to Rock Road, he said to one of the officers, referring to the address of the St. Lucie County Jail. After forcing the master bedroom door open, they found the bodies of Mary Jo and Blake under and surrounded by items such as furniture, magazines, appliances, food and so much more. As he had predicted, Tyler was detained and taken in for investigation. Almost a thousand people attended Mary Jo and Blake's funeral. This ranged from family and friends to well-wishers who came to pay their last respects after the news of the murders had spread. On the night of the funeral, Ryan, Tyler's older brother, decided to go and visit his brother in prison, marking the first time the brothers would meet since the murders. It's what my parents would want me to do. They wouldn't want me to abandon him, he said. According to the testimony of a fellow inmate, Tyler grew immensely popular in prison. He had started going by nicknames like Hambo or Hammerboy, and even signed fan mail and autographs for fellow inmates using these names. In numerous conversations, Tyler bragged about his elaborate plan and the killer party he'd thrown afterwards, telling other inmates, you should have been there. Despite his self-pride and popularity, Tyler was young and not particularly liked by many people. As such, he got assaulted once or twice by other inmates. Soon, however, the popularity, pride and pain would come to a halt. It was soon time for his trial and the reality of his actions were about to dawn on him. Being a minor at the time of the murders, Tyler could not be sentenced to death for his crimes, even though Florida law recognised the death penalty. So in 2014, the now 20-year-old pleaded no contest to two counts of first-degree murder. It was at these trials that he broke his long-sustained silence about the murders, but in the end, this gave little satisfaction to those who had more burning questions. If you could speak to him directly right now, what would you say to him? Well, of course I'd ask the question, why? I might ask him, you miss your mom and dad? Didn't they mean anything to you? Was it worth it? In his address, Tyler said, not a single day goes by that I don't think about my parents or my whole family that I've affected by this. I just want everyone to know that I am truly sorry for, you know, the acts that I committed. However, in other communications, including with his grandparents, he mentioned that some of the medications that he had been prescribed had caused him to act in an unusual way and may have played a certain role in pushing him to murder his parents. Despite this claim, Tyler was eventually given two life sentences without the possibility of parole because according to prosecutors, the focus was punishment and not rehabilitation, as far as Tyler's case was concerned. In 2016, two years after his original sentence, Tyler's sentence was overturned by an appeal due to the national law which outlined new guidelines for sentencing juveniles. Tyler's sentence was re-evaluated and in 2018, the then 24-year-old was again met with two life sentences. However, this time he had the opportunity of parole through a review after serving 25 years in prison. As for Michael and the other party guests at the killer party, the party continues to have a lasting impact on them. Tyler forgave his best friend for turning him in, 
although there have been rumours and speculations that Tyler had plans to kill himself after the party anyway. Alarmingly, when many of the party guests found out what had happened hours before the party they attended, several of them expressed excitement and fascination. Wow, I just went to the party of a lifetime, one said. It's messed up what he did, but 20 years from now, I'll be able to say I was there. I hate Port St. Lucie, but that's kinda cool, said someone else. Now 28 years old, Tyler is serving his sentences at a correctional institution. He has also been working on himself, continuing his education. Tyler passed his GED and scored 2100 on the SAT, not long after his arrest. He also picked up reading and started recommending books to his friends and family in his letters to them. Tyler also began working on recovering his Catholic faith. He began meeting with a priest and hopes to be ordained when he gets out of prison if granted parole. What Tyler did was truly disgusting. No one will ever really know his motives for the evil acts he committed, but one thing's for certain. He really wanted to have a party and he knew the only way it would be possible was if he killed his parents. I really don't know why, it's just, I don't know. So even now looking back on it, you can't make sense of it? I can't make sense of it. His family are completely torn, with some who want him home and have forgiven him, and others who claim they still love him, but want him to serve the maximum sentence. Do you love your brother still? I do love my brother. Hurt for your brother still. Yeah, I hurt for my brother. What I want is for him to get the maximum penalty possible, which I understand is life in prison without parole. He took the lives of the two people who loved him the most, and he had no emotional appreciation for it and its actions, and what this would do to his brother and the rest of his family. Tyler may have been given a life sentence, but he has also given his family a life sentence.